Hello, welcome to our KPMG podcast series for tax leaders. For this episode, I talk to Tim Sarson, partner of KPMG in the UK, who leads value chain management for global tax. Tim has over 17 years experience as an international corporate tax specialist in big four firms, as well as an industry where he was the group tax and treasury manager for an operational consulting practice. In this episode, Tim and I discuss how business models are shifting as companies react to changes large and small and reposition themselves to mitigate risk and seize opportunities. Hi, Tim, and thanks for taking the time to speak to me today on the phone. I know you've been working in this space for many years, so could you tell us about the most significant changes you've seen to business models and what do you think are driving these changes? Um, well, they're always changing, of course. That's, that goes without saying. Um, I suppose that the first thing that we need to do is define what we mean by a, a business model because there's lots of terminology that's, that's slightly similar. There's, there's operating model. Uh, business model is used in, in different ways. But what I mean by a business model is essentially everything about how a, how a business invests, makes its money, um, distributes it, its profits, um, and deploys it, its capital. And that, that's pretty broad. Um, and I w- I've been thinking about this, and I think there are there are a number of, of, of themes which all mean that the, the businesses that we're working with now are very different from even the same businesses 10, 15 years ago. Um, first of all, there's the obvious stuff, um, which you know everyone is, is reading and hearing about all the time. So the way that businesses sell to their customers and the way that customers buy, and that's B2B and B2B customers, that, that's changed significantly. Um, part of that is about digital um, about the Uberization that you'll, you'll hear about in uh, in business models. In other words, we're, we're moving from products to, to marketplaces. Um, traditional product companies are, uh, are are providing services and vice versa. Um, and there's a whole load to talk about there. But the, there are also big changes that are happening behind the scenes, which I think are every bit as, as important. You know, supply chains have have been changing massively, driven by some macro factors like the oil price, like macroeconomics. Um, geopolitics, but but also driven by micro factors like technology. Again, um, organisations have been changing. I, I want to talk a bit about that a little bit later on, um, and that's partly, um, not all, but partly because family life and the way that uh, individuals plan their their careers is is, is changing, and, and that really affects the way that that organisations are, are shaped. Um, and finally, I think this is not to be underestimated that the way that capital around the world is is applied and deployed by multinationals and for multinationals has has changed beyond recognition. Uh, there used to be a time where, you know, the, the dominant source of, of capital was deployed by listed multinationals um, that were listed on stock exchanges. Um, now, with with private equity, private capital being increasingly important, and the the massive return of the state deployment of resources as well. That's either with state-owned entities or um, enterprises or, or sovereign wealth funds. Um, that the way that capital moves around the world has completely shifted. So how do you see these business model changes developing further in the future? Um, so these are always uh, dangerous questions to answer um, because predicting the future is, is a mug's game. And, and the easy thing to do, of course, would be to say that we'll we'll have more of the same. So the trends that we're seeing now, whether that's the acceleration of, uh, of digital robotics and so on taking over business models or more and more platform models out there, more and more state-owned enterprises, more and more geopolitics. Um, that, that may happen, 
But I think what the last few years has, has certainly shown me is that there are always surprises uh, and companies need to be prepared for, for surprises. They need to be prepared, for example, for technology to, to move in ways that they haven't expected. Um, if I take uh, cars, for example, autonomous vehicles, really no one was talking about that except in, in very esoteric circles, even three, four years ago here in the UK, certainly. Um, now it, it seems like a very real possibility, but who's to say that in two years' time everyone would have forgotten about them and moved on to the next thing? Um, geopolitics is incredibly confusing. Um, I, I advise a lot of clients at the moment on, on Brexit. Um, it's hard even to say where Brexit's going, let alone what's going to happen to the balance of power worldwide. Um, and geopolitics really has been, has been shaping the, the way um, companies operate. Uh, and, and then finally, that there are things that we simply cannot predict, but which have massive impacts on, on business models. I'll take, give you a, one example that happened a few years ago. Um, I used to work quite a lot with, with Japanese headquarters groups, uh, electronics groups. Um, in one year, they faced both uh, massive flooding in, in Thailand and the, uh, the, the earthquake and tsunami that wiped out a lot of uh, Japanese manufacturing capability because essentially there were shortages of, of electricity. Um, those twin problems for their supply chains um, led to a, a major re, uh, rethinking of uh, where they should uh, essentially put all their eggs. Um, and there are always going to be things like that that happen in the future that we can't predict. So, so for me, the, the important thing when, when thinking about the future is making sure that organisations are, are, are ready to be taken by surprise and to adapt to it. So when we're thinking about all of this, and, and on a pragmatic level, what approach should companies be taking about the effect changing business models is going to have? I, I think you can't do, um, can't do better, to be honest, for, for most companies than, than having a look at what's, what's going on around them. Um, too many companies look inwards, so they, they fixate on the, the problems that, that they see themselves having. Um, and, and what that leads to generally is that they use yesterday's solutions to, to address yesterday's problems. Um, if you take, for example, how they, they deploy technology in, in an enterprise, um, generally speaking, they'll be uh, sitting with, with a clunky ERP system. The obvious fix to that uh, and to all of the, the issues that uh, they're dealing with is probably to roll out a, a brand new ERP system. Um, sometimes they need to stop, lift their, their eyes above the horizon a little bit and thinking think, well, if we started from here, um, would we be implementing this same technology that's been in our um, business for the last 20 years or, or would we be thinking about skipping that, going to something, for example, cloud-based? Um, it's the same with organizations. So um, companies that have, have traditionally grown up around the idea that there's a headquarters and then there are functions that sit in various countries depending on um, what, what is most suitable to do in that country, they will tend to do their planning based on an assumption that that's the right way forward. Again, sometimes they need to stop, look around and think, well, what else is there out there? And what might actually be a, a more efficient, a, a cheaper and easier to implement uh, way of, of, of organizing my, uh, my, my people? So do I need a headquarters in one place or can my headquarters be, be virtual? That's the way that employment is working anyway. Does it still make sense to put my factories in country A and my distribution centers in country B just because they were there before? So I think practically speaking, it's just always worth companies stopping, thinking about would they be where they are now if they hadn't started here. So, Tim, do you think companies are becoming more innovative when it comes to their corporate structure? 
do you have any examples you might be able to share with us? Okay, so, so let's take a couple of examples. Um, one of them around M&A uh, and one of them around people and organizations. So just building on this people and organization point, um, companies are being forced by the reality of finding it difficult to find talent uh, and to find um, highly qualified staff. Um, they're being forced by that, and this is an, a number of my, probably the majority of, of my clients, uh, are starting to hire senior staff whatever, wherever they can get them. That means that some of the, uh, the, the theories around, for example, virtual organizations operating through VC um, that were simply theories until a few years ago are, are now happening in practice. It, it means that there are um, challenges for those companies in, in getting people to, to talk to each other, uh, massive challenges in terms of their transfer pricing models, for example, particularly after the, uh, after the BEPS program. Um, but they're having to adapt because that's just the, the, the way that the world is moving, and we're having to uh, adapt with them. Particularly across Europe, um, this is a, um, a a big and accelerating trend. But the fact is that, that people simply don't um, up sticks, leave their families, and, and move to other countries in the way that they used to. So they're having to work with virtual organisations because that's just the way things are. Um, if we then take M&A, uh, one of the I think one of the big trends that, that I've seen over the last few years, which starts to feature, um, starts to factor into what we would have called business as usual planning, um, is that M&A is no longer that one-off event that happens, which is outside the ordinary. Again, traditionally, companies would, would grow organically. They would um, set up an operating model that... Um, that was driving profit in particular profitable markets, that was investing in new markets, um, and everything would be geared up for that business as usual. And then occasionally there would be a big M&A transaction where they felt that, that something was missing or where they felt they needed uh, market scale. Um, now, particularly in, for example, R&D heavy industries, M&A is just a fact of life. That's the way that they get growth. Um, it's inorganic, but it is kind of normalized. And you have to start building that into the way that companies transfer price their operating models, for example. You need to, to build that um, thinking into the way that you describe a company to a tax authority. Um, so things that, that used to be theoretical really becoming normalized now. So it's almost like the convergence that we're seeing in industry, where it's becoming harder to categorize businesses. Yes, pr pr precisely. Certainly in the context of, of M&A. Um, it's a little bit of an artificial split now between your, your deals activity, which was always seen as uh, something out of the ordinary, and then your day-to-day -day work. Actually, deals uh, can sometimes be you know, a, a big chunk of your day-to-day your -day operations. What do you think are the tax implications of all these changes to traditional business models? Well, tax drives business models sometimes. Um, business models definitely drive tax. Um, I think it's important to define again what we mean by tax. So tax is not just corporate income tax, uh, and it's not just taxes that are paid by uh, companies. It, it also includes personal taxes. Um, corporate income tax, generally speaking, particularly now post-BEPS, is driven by where and how value is, is created by senior decision-making. Indirect tax is uh, incorporated into the supply chain. It's a transactional tax, and so it's really driven in terms of where it's collected by what the supply chain looks like. And then personal and payroll tax, well, that's driven by where you have people. 
it's also driven by how those those people move around. And, and if you think about the topics I've just been talking about, uh, changing business models, changing paths to the customer, um, they just they simply mean that value is going to be created in a different way in different places. So from a transfer pricing and corporate tax perspective, that means that we end up with tax in different places. Um, it means that existing business models or operating models for tax may not be fit for purpose. Um, indirect tax, that's both VAT and customs, has gone from something that was done in the, the back office to a really key driver of efficiency in, in um, operating models. And some of those geopolitical changes, some of the the re-establishment of, of, of borders, you know, Brexit and potential changes to NAFTA being being two examples, mean that, again, customs duties, VAT, are being collected in different places and creating different frictional costs in parts of the supply chain that weren't there um, before. And, and they really need to be built, built into supply chain modelling and, and planning. And then finally, uh, payroll taxes. When you have virtual organisations are less centralized geographically where you're hiring people wherever you want them just the number of complex individual arrangements and, and question marks over people's uh, personal and payroll tax and then also what that means for, for corporate tax permanent establishment for example that's just uh, burgeoning so I, I'm getting you know at least weekly um, calls and conversations about new hires where someone might be based in Switzerland but wants to spend two days a week in, in country X, um, what do we do? How do we hire them? Uh, how, do the, how do we pay them and where do we pay them? And, and that's only going to get uh, bigger and bigger as organisations get more and more complex. That's great, Tim. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. I think there's a lot there for our listeners to think about and consider. We'll go on to explore changing business models in further episodes, I'm sure. In our next podcast, we're going to turn our attention to geopolitics, how shifts in the geopolitical landscape affect businesses and what the implications are for tax departments. I'll be joined by Grant Wardle-Johnson, lead tax partner heading up KPMG's Economics and Tax Centre for KPMG in Australia. That's all we have time for today, but please remember to keep emailing us any suggestions you have for future episodes at tax at kpmg.com. You can find out more about this topic and other topics we've discussed in this podcast series by visiting kpmg.com forward slash tax reimagined. Thanks for listening. <laughs>